The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Nick coming to you from the Houston Outpost in the throes of glory with yet another playoff appearance for the premier sports franchise in the history of the earth, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another playoff appearance on the Hall of Fame resume of Ben Roethlisberger. Another sublime coaching job from Mike Tomlin getting a mediocre team, yes, with massive star power at the top, but getting a mediocre team into the playoffs and maybe the most competitive year we have seen so far in NFL history. It's the first 18-week season, and I think the NFL will be pretty freaking pumped that the season and the playoff picture was not decided until the last second of the last game on Sunday night when... The Raiders and the Chargers, as everybody knows by now, narrowly avoided a tie, which would have sent the Steelers home. If those, the, the, the playoff picture for the Steelers was simple. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the worst team in the league all year, had to upset the Colts, which wasn't insane because the Jaguars had beat the Colts, I believe, seven times in a row in the last seven games in Jacksonville. It sort of resembles the, the, the Dolphins owning the Patriots when the Patriots go to Florida. There's something about you – know, you know, there's not something about Florida. There's a lot of things about Florida, okay? And Antonio Brown's from Florida. So things get crazy out of Florida, but the Jaguars had to beat the Colts and the Steelers had to beat the Ravens. It took an overtime Chris Boswell field goal for the Steelers to beat the Ravens. It took yet another fourth quarter game-winning drive from the GOAT, Ben Roethlisberger, who with that game-winning drive moved ahead of Drew Brees and Peyton Manning to take sole possession of second place in all-time game-winning drives right behind Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady actually has like 10 more. So not going to be able to reach that. But uh, one positive thing about that note for, for Ben is all of the passing records are going to fall because the passing rules have changed so dramatically. And guys like Joe Burrow, who are coming up in this era, they get to play their whole career in the passing era, whereas Ben and Brady and those guys only got to play about half of their careers once the rules had dramatically changed. And then secondarily, obviously there's more games, 17 right now, and then there's about to be 18. So a lot of those records will fall. Ben will be knocked out of the top 10 passing statistics, uh, you know, in 20 years or whatever it is. But those comeback records, those win-related records, those may stay. And that pumps me up for, for somebody like Ben because as we've seen this year, I keep using Kenny Pickett and Dan Marino as an example, but – People really forget the past in football. People, the problem, and one of the reasons why I have a podcast is the problem with watching football is 
the stats lie more than any other sport. So you can't just look at a top 10 list and say, well, here's the first best guy, the second best guy. Emmitt Smith's the best running back. Emmitt Smith's not even a top 10 running back all the time. There's no way. And he's the all-time leading rusher. Things are circumstantial. So while Ben and some of these guys are going to get knocked out of the passing records, those win records may be able to hold serve because everybody's going to be playing with the same passing rules. So they both, both quarterbacks might pass for 500 yards in the game, but someone's got to win it. And so that was really cool that Ben led the team. And it really was Ben with all the drops, but then the subsequent uh, impressive bounce backs by, by the young Steelers players. It, was, it felt like, how could you play another game after the, the Ben celebration against Cleveland? And how could it possibly match up to the emotion that happened in that game? And boom, it happened. Ben, it, it, not only was it another fourth quarter comeback, it moves past Peyton Manning and Drew Brees. This is another playoff appearance on his record. This is another playoff appearance for Tomlin. And for anybody saying that Ben has carried Tomlin all these years, the first thing is, Look at all of the greatest coaches of all time. Almost all of them have uh, fantastic quarterbacks. you got to have good players. But now Tomlin has had two seasons where he did very well in which the quarterback play was you know, subpar. And not all that's been fault this year, but plenty of it is. And it is what it is. So it's really hard to ignore that in the most competitive NFL season we've seen in a while. Where we know that, uh, back to the formula thing, Steelers got to beat the Ravens. Jaguars got to upset the Colts. They blew them out of the water. And then, side note, just probably doesn't mean anything. Obviously, nothing really to worry about. The chances of this happening are slim to none. The Raiders just can't tie the Chargers in that game because then you'd knock the Steelers out and both of those teams would go to the playoffs. I mean, maybe both teams would just kneel on the ball for every single play and then both of them get into the playoffs, which is an interesting argument unto itself. If the job is all about winning, getting in the playoffs, making that happen, who's really going to remember the game where both teams kneeled their way into the playoffs? Yeah, history will remember it, like the Tom Tupa game where the punter played quarterback for the Jets because it would be memorable. But in terms of Brandon Staley's uh, and Rich Bisaccia's overall coaching records at the end of their 10 years, nobody's going to look back and be like, yeah, well, one of those playoff appearances and one of those wins was because of kneel off. Like, it would have disappeared into history. Uh, but it was cool to see that they didn't do that because that's what's so beautiful about football. It's the ultimate competitive spirit. And the guys tried to win. And also by nature of winning that game, they knocked the other one out. So Raiders are in. They get the Steelers in. It's awesome. Here we go. I'm going to talk a little bit about the game because, once again, I've been saying this on a lot of podcasts. It's just it's doppelganger game every week. Basically, basically the Steelers – from a stewy, muddy pit of bad football, reach out a, a, a scaled, wrinkly, clawed hand and grab the ankle of their opponents every week and drag them down into the swamp with them where they play a game of 1940s football until about the last three minutes of the game where Ben either completes the game-winning drive or, you know, not. And so that's what the game was. So not a ton to talk about there except for similarly to last week or similarly, similarly to last week, some encouraging things from the young guys. Also some bad things from the young guys. Also a ringing endorsement for Juju to be resigned. I'll get back into that later. 
Spotify Green Room. It's a live audio-only sports talk platform that's free to download and easy to use. You can talk to fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. And you can trash talk Ravens fans. You can talk about Ben's greatest highlights. PFT commenter put a, a best Ben scramble drills video up on Twitter. Maybe you go talk about that. You can actually link your Twitter account to Spotify Green Room and talk to other fans, athletes, executives, and insiders in real time, which is really cool. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. I'll also talk a little bit about the Kansas City Chiefs game preview. Obviously, look, that's, that's not how you want to draw around one. That's not ideal. Uh, the game a couple weeks ago, that was absolute misery. Chances are low. Who cares? The Steelers aren't, are in the playoffs. Crazier things have happened. We'll get into that and uh, might do a little segment on the most thrilling nail biters of the year because that's the kind of year it's been. I mean, it feels like the Steelers are always playing in close games. It's kind of the way the NFL is designed. But this was a, especially looking back at the games as I did this morning. This is way, was a particularly uh, per, uh, perilous year in terms of pulling games out or not in the final minutes of the game. So talk about some of that. And I'm just excited that the Steelers are the playoffs, which is the other thing we'll talk about. Should we be excited that the Steelers won more games or would it be more beneficial for them to have lost more games this year and been in better position for a draft pick? Obviously, that's a huge topic of discussion among fans get into that that a little bit as well. So when talking about the Ravens game itself, the victory over the Ravens, I think can be categorized by sort of one or two big things. And the the first big thing is turnovers. The Ravens had some really sloppy turnovers, especially Tyler Huntley, the quarterback who has been very hyped up the past few weeks. I was even excited to see him play. And about a quarter in, I realized there's not a ton to be excited about. I mean, I guess he can get better. Obviously, he can run. He can move. The passing is erratic at best. I mean, he left two or three plays to Mark Andrews that have been 30, 40, 50-yard games, and one of them was an interception at Terrell Edmonds that he almost found a way to drop. Erratic there, but the Ravens giving the ball to the Steelers, and the Steelers not turning the ball over. Let Mike Tomlin play a coach's dream game, which is I think all coaches generally – all coaches want to go back to the 80s and 90s. We want to run the ball excessively. And, hey, let's get Matt Canada in there, and we can run the ball in second and 10, second and 12. We'll even run it on second and 22 because we got to run that thing no matter what. And if it's second down, up oh, clock's ticking. Got to make it happen. So they want to run the ball. They want to, don't turn it over, play good defense, and then get a drive at the very end of the game to win the thing. And Ben has provided the team with those drives all year long. It's one thing that has not left his game. It's the one time where he starts looking like his old self. No, he's not slinging rockets all over the place. Although I'd say against Minnesota, he had some of that. And even uh, the Chargers game when I was reviewing that, he was slinging the ball much more in those games. But they kept it close enough for Ben to win the game in the end. And some of those role players, the young guys really stepped up. It's awesome to see Fryermuth and Najee playing a massive role in the final drive. You know, Deontay, he's continuing his good Deontay, bad Deontay. And this might just be a core element of him as a player. I don't know if you can get rid of that. He's just, I love Deontay. He's a 
interesting wide receiver one. He's, he is a wide receiver one because he can do everything that a wide receiver one can do in terms of being able to run incredible routes. He doesn't win deep consistently, but he can win on go balls. He can make spectacular catches and toe drag catches. He's great running after the catch, but the guy just drops the ball so often, whether it's with a fumble or with an actual drop. And he's just so slender. It just doesn't feel reliable all the time, to be honest. And he showed that again. And even in overtime when they converted the third and eight or whatever it was, uh, multiple third and fourth down conversions, Deontay runs a beautiful route, basically makes Jimmy Smith or whoever it was on the corner fall down, catches the ball in the return route, basically the zig out, runs for the first down, gets tackled by the horse collar or around the horse collar, something that he perceived as a slight to him, and immediately loses his damn mind and throws the ball at the opponent. I mean, he was just lucky that Cam Hayward and so many Steelers were right around him that I think the refs didn't really notice it, and Cam Hayward bear-hugged him and removed him from the situation. But Deontay almost single-handedly lost the game for the Steelers by losing his mind. And to me, that just says one thing. Is they're mentally soft. Chase and Deontay, they, they're, they mentally do not have it. And I hope they get it. it. It does happen to some players where they can develop it. They've definitely gotten better. But to lose your mind in that moment and not be able to control your emotions and throw the ball at the other team and to almost lose the game, it's terrible. And it's the big reason why I think the Steelers need to prioritize re-signing Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I said pretty consistently over the offseason at the beginning of this year, they need to let Juju walk. It sucks. He's, he's awesome. He's really good. He's better even than Steelers fans give him credit for. Um, because they get triggered very easily from the TikTok thing. Well, guess what? You're not going to like the next 20 years of players because this is the kind of <laughs> these are the guys who are in there now. This is the new generation. This happens all the time. So, but you know the upside of Chase and Deontay is so high that you just got to let a guy like Juju Walk, who's a Pro Bowl guy. I've changed my tune, man. They had a whole year to develop. They have done that, but Juju's reliableness it, it can't be understated. And it's not reliable in terms of like, what a nice third receiver. What Like a Jesse James reliable. You know, the guy's always going to catch the ball. Always. Even versus the Patriots, he's always going to catch it. But he's not going to do much else than that. No, Juju does a lot of things. He catches it deep. He catches it short. He obviously does catch and run. He can catch off of people's backs and combat catch situations. He does everything. And then he provides an element of toughness to the Steelers, which leads to my next point, which is the other way they won this game. Is that they're just tough. This Mike Tomlin team... You can't say it's Ben carrying them right now. They have a toughness. They have a resilience. You know, Ray Ray McLeod dropping the game-winning, you know, 20-yard pass from Ben and then coming back and making the catch on a, a low catch on fourth down and eight from Ben. That, that's huge to recover like that. Friermuth not lowering his shoulder to get the first down at the end of the game and then coming back and making some critical catches. Huge. And obviously, Chase scoring the touchdown. That's great, but... When you look around and you're looking at what life's going to be like after Ben, you've kind of gotten a taste of it over the last three years while Ben hasn't been at his best, line hasn't been at his best, or Ben hasn't even played. When you look at it, look around the roster and see there are some young superstars who are all very Steelers-like players. They're tough. It's TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, Minka Fitzpatrick, who showed his toughness over and over again this year. You know, he's not supposed to be a box safety, and that's basically what he had to be reduced to this year and kept getting up. He was durable, and he kept making great tackles. Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth, these are classic Steelers over and over again. And Juju Smith-Schuster is probably the toughest of all of them besides Najee. We can't deny that. 
all, all of them. I'm not going to rank them. But Juju's the same way. He punishes people. Other teams hate him. It's Heinz Ward reincarnated. And then he's going to be reliable in all situations, which is the problem with the Steelers' skill position players outside of Najee this year is their high variance. They're either making spectacular plays or spectacularly boneheaded plays. And, yeah, that just those are just a, a few quick notes on, on the game itself, which was just a carbon copy of all the other games, like we've said. And a few notes on, hey, we have seen some things that are bright signs for the future at the end of this year. It all depends on how uh, the Steelers and Kevin Colbert and his swan song here handle – the transition how do they find the qb how long does it take how are they gonna you know invest their money and invest their draft picks all that is is going to influence how this turns out but so far they have a much much better foundation than teams like the with the jets i'm excited about where they're at now but where they were at before this year they have a much better foundation than the giants than the jaguars than washington all these teams are starting from scratch not only do the Steelers have some good players, but they have good cultural foundational players. And those, those players also match the Steelers way that has been intact since the 1970s, which is crazy to think about. But after that game in Baltimore, I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, are they, they going to do it again? Are they going to make another Steelers-esque team that's built off of those 70s teams? And so far, so good. Spotify Green Room. It's a live audio only sports talk platform that's free to download and easy to use. You can talk to fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. And you can trash talk Ravens fans. You can talk about Ben's greatest highlights. PFT commenter put a, a best Ben scramble drills video up on Twitter. Maybe you go talk about that. You can actually link your Twitter account to Spotify Green Room and talk to other fans, athletes, executives, and insiders in real time, which is really cool. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. So here's the big question. Are we happy the Steelers made the playoffs at the cost of drafting maybe three or four or five picks higher? Or even if there are people out there who thought the Steelers should just try and win two or three games, you know, at the cost of drafting in the top 10. I think that if you're drafting consistently in the top 10, you're going to, you're, you're going to see a theme with these franchises. Okay. The, the dolphins fired Brian Flores today, right? Universally agreed as a dog crap move for a guy who took a, like a one in 15, like a, a, a completely losing team, turned them around, made them into a good team, a playoff competing team. And has shown uh, flashes of uh, extreme high-level coaching in addition to just a steadying presence, all behind a quarterback that he was, by all reports, forced to draft by the owner. The Dolphins' owner was obsessed with Tua, the same way the Jaguars' owner was obsessed with Urban Meyer. And you're seeing these poverty franchises keep themselves in that mode. So the the Dolphins on a Ross or whatever it is, he really wanted Tua. Then you get four games from Tua and you realize what you should have realized in the pre-draft process is the guy's a limited athlete. He's a limited thrower. He's limited at everything. And you had Justin Herbert sitting right there for you. And this isn't even retroactive. Oh, Herbert's better or not. Like this stuff was all on tape. I'm not even saying that 
Tua wasn't necessarily a first-round guy, but there's no way he's a top-ten pick, and this guy made Flores take him. Four games after that, the guy's making Flores and the team pursue Deshaun Watson publicly so that it screws to his confidence and his team chemistry over, right? And arguably, since you have a below-average quarterback in Tua, if you even get a decent quarterback in there, the, the Dolphins are a, probably a 10-win team every year, right? So <laughs> you sort of put them in this position. Long story short, what I'm trying to say is no matter how many times the Jaguars pick out one, no matter how many times the Dolphins draft a new quarterback, these franchises stay bad. The Browns got the best roster in the NFL, and it blew up in their face like 12 games into the damn thing, right? I think that there is a massive toll taken when you are uh, losing games constantly. I think it puts the fan base into an uproar, which is not an arguable point. That is a fact of life based on the way Steelers Twitter was this year in a playoff year about fire Tomlin, Ben's terrible, you need to get every new everything, everything, everything. You know, a fan base that has no experience with bad teams at all. And frankly, just like any other fan base on Twitter, no experience with other teams. You know, you watch your own team every single week. You, you only know so much, right? So can you imagine what that noise would be like if they found a way to tank with TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith, Najee Harris, Pat Frymer, a lot of good players on the team. You'd have to find a way to lose, you know, 12 games or whatever it is. And if you found your way to lose that much, how loud do you think the fan base would be then? Do you think they would be like, it's okay, trust the process. This is a Philadelphia 76ers situation here, which by the way, that didn't work either. Right? The noise would be so loud, the organization would most likely be pressured into making... Uh, just pulling the trigger way too quick on a lot of decisions, which is what the Washingtons and the Clevelands and the Miamis of the world do. It's what Oakland does. You're going to stay. There is a toll to be paid for being bad. Let alone the the fact that you're not going to get any good free agents. Of course, obviously no one wants to go to a dumpster fire like that. Now by winning all these games, you have a couple arguments. One is, is that, People need to accept the fact that it's impossible to win the freaking Super Bowl. It's impossible in this day and age with salary cap. The salary cap completed Paul Tagliabue's dream of having every team go 8-8 eight and eight, is, I think, his famous quote, right? It makes it impossible to maintain a good team because your teams are so thin. An injury can destroy the whole season. As we saw multiple playoff runs where the Steelers should have beat the Super Bowl champion Broncos when they played them in the playoffs, which didn't have Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell, multiple players. D'Angelo Williams even injured. You know, multiple playoff runs destroyed because of injury or because of scheduling or this or that. The Patriots have ruined everybody's view of football because of their unprecedented streak of dominance, which is not going to be replicated. When you get the best coach of all time and you pair him with one of the best two or three quarterbacks of all time, that's what's going to happen. You know, that, that, that is a difficult formula to make. But we're so used to seeing them up there. And then obviously the Steelers had a great run in Ben's early career, making three Super Bowls early. There's other teams that were like that. The Seattle Seahawks were on in two and on the door. Uh, Eli Manning's Giants. Like you can get a little run for a few years at a time. I mean, even the Packers right now, well on their way to their third straight NFC championship game. It's, it, it, you can do it for a few years at a time. 
but it's hard. And what I'm trying to say is that since it's basically impossible to win the Super Bowl, you need so many things to align for you. Should you enjoy the ride of winning games, which is objectively much more fun to watch than losing games? Are, are all the fans going to continue watching? You're winning three games a year. Look, we got a taste of it the past two years. The, how boring these football games are. It, it dissuades you from investing three hours of a Sunday and watching it, you know? Like, are you going to continue? Because if you go all the way down to three wins, it's not one draft that's going to fix you. It's multiple years. And by the way, people are going to get fired in that in-between because public pressure is so hard when you're losing that many games. And then you have no continuity. And we've seen this fail for so many of the bad teams. They generally stay bad. And who stays good? Oh, the Steelers, the Packers, the Ravens, the same teams, no matter when their quarterbacks retire, when their coaches retire, whatever it is. So from that angle alone, I think that winning the games is great for the Steelers. Secondarily, to extend this run for Ben in this magical way that, yep, might come crashing down pretty horrifically in the playoffs, whether it's against the Chiefs or someone else, miraculously, but to, to pass Drew Brees and Peyton Manning to go behind Tom Brady as the number two quarterback all time in terms of fourth quarter comeback game winning drives. It's amazing to have another list on, you know, I know people want to say, oh, Mike Tom has never had a losing season. It's another playoff season for him. And, and, and our buddy David asked me today, do I think that this is Tomlin's best coaching season? I told him it's basically the same as every other season. Like some are a little bit better than others, but mostly it comes down to your roster and your injury luck at a certain point when you're a good coach. And then otherwise, you see Mike Tomlin take Mason Rudolph to eight and eight and on the brink of the playoffs. You see Mike Tomlin take this crappy team with some stars at the top of it, like, which by all accounts is a great culture. The players really get along. There's no Washington football team guys punching themselves, punching their teammates in the face on the sideline. Like, there's a couple of great guys who hold this Steelers thing together. There's a good culture in Pittsburgh. It's blatant. The Antonio Brown got naked and retired in the middle of the Bucks game. He had nine productive years in, in Pittsburgh. I mean, the, the, you guys, the evidence is mounting. Now, the evidence is also mounting that he employs Matt Canada, which is inexcusable, right? That, that's got to stop. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the culture building is more important. Now you have this foundation of tough Steelers-like players, Najee. Fryermuth, Watt, Highsmith, Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a bunch of guys out there who can uh, really fit that billing. And so from that angle, I do think that it's better that they're winning. And I don't think you can just game the system and get draft picks. If we've seen Cleveland try it enough times, we should know that by now. Too many things change in between those long years of the multiple drafts it takes to to build an all-star team. All right, so big shout-out to David Stickler on Twitter. Man asked me a great question or really gave us a great idea saying we need a ranking of these uh, this season's nail-biting wins. And I thought, yeah, I guess they have played in a lot of nail-biting games. I kind of feel that's the way the Steelers always play, though. And I went back and looked at the game, and David, sir, you are absolutely right. This has been an insane season of pulling it out. Like I was saying earlier, the Steelers accomplished the 1991 game model of no turnovers, no touchdowns, and uh, a game-winning drive at the end of the uh, at the end of the game. So I went through all the games and I made a ranking. 
I made the ranking quick off of instinct. There are games that might have been closer in score, but I ranked them in terms of how stressful the end of the games were and maybe how much they make. So we'll go from five to one to make this interesting. I'll hit this quickly. At number five, the Chargers game. Uh, who, who can remember? Remember the Steelers played the Chargers? And the reason I want to put this one here is because this is one of two games on this list where Ben and the Steelers offense turned the clock back and actually had a, a thrilling air show, a real battle where quarterbacks were trading bombs. And of course, Justin Herbert, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying Ben is anywhere near the level of Justin Herbert's at, at, at this point in, in their careers, but there were long bombs that were getting teams back in games inside of that one. I believe the Steelers were kind of trailing the whole game, and then they get a fourth-quarter punt block and then a tipped a bad pass at the line where Cam Sutton sprints 20 yards across the field to make up for an earlier mistake, dives and makes an interception in the fourth quarter alone. So that thing was one of those games where it's sort of like the Chiefs where it's like, well, this thing's sort of done in the beginning. The Steelers are outclassed. But then unlike the Chiefs game, the Steelers made it close with some high-flying aerial acrobatics and some crazy fourth quarter plays. So that's number five. Number four, you could put this one higher if you want, but I guess at first I just thought that the Steelers seemed like they had it under control. And that, of course, is the most important game of the year. Ben's final game at Himes Field, the Browns game. Another snooze fest of a game for national fans. A, an absolute nail-biter for Steelers fans simply because of what was on the line. And I think... It, it wouldn't have really mattered as much, you know, even if it been, if Ben had lost it, you don't really generally remember the quarterback's last games, their career overshadows that. What was Eli Manning's last game? I don't remember. But that being said, the celebration was much better after the win. <laughs> and it's just a big exhale of relief. And you know that that game means so much more to the fans, to Ben, to Tomlin, to the team, to the Roonies, than what the actual eventual outcome is, despite it being, you know, a game to stand playoff contention. You needed Ben to beat them, especially with the loss in last season's playoff game and how much crap the Browns and Browns fans talked over the course of the year. So to sweep them was glorious. To win that game and then get the glorious send-off was something I'll always remember as a Steelers fan. So, and number three, here's another forgotten one. You remember the time when the Steelers tied the Lions the worst team in existence. Just kidding. They're kneecap biters. They actually have a lot of fight in them. That game was insane in terms of fourth quarter miscues. Neither team wanted to win the game. Both teams seemed desperate to lose the game. There were fumbles. Is that the game where Deontay was running with the ball? And, and just No, I think that was, that was a different one. Um, well, he did fumble in this one <laughs> after a big, long catch and run. There were, I felt like there were like three or four fumbles in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game alone. When either team would get into field goal range, they found a way to mess it up. They'd take a delay a game. They'd take a long sack. The receiver would get the ball run for 40 yards for a game winner and then fumble it at the very end for no reason. It was back and forth, and you're realizing at this time the Lions were winless, I believe. So there was an embarrassment factor that was going on there too. It was frustrating. It was bad weather. 
And it just, it, it qualified in that nail biter sort of way that David is, was uh, referencing, which was that it was stressful while it was happening. And that is why I would put the Lions tie at number three, because the electricity was in the air. And then it doesn't totally go away when the game finishes on account of the disappointment. So number two, unfortunately, I got to put the Vikings loss or the Steelers down by 31 or something like that. At that point, there have been some bad Steelers deficits this year in the past couple of years. That one was very bad. Dalvin Cook for 100 yards in the first quarter. Steelers were down. And then they almost make, I think, the biggest comeback in NFL history. I mean, they are a Pat Fryermuth tricky drop away from accomplishing absolute history. If I'm not wrong, I think it's there was a Jets game that was the biggest regular season comeback. And then, of course, the Bills, Frank Reich quarterbacked um, the biggest postseason comeback. I believe that's still the record. Us Mahomes got it against the Texans. But then, either way, this was going to be a historical comeback. And once again, it was a turn-back-the-clock game for Ben, which I know I look at a lot of these things through the, through the eyes of Ben, but I think that that's a really cool way to appreciate this season. Now, if they win the Super Bowl, I'm not wearing clothes for a year, okay? Like, I will be over the moon. But I don't foresee that happening and this will be a very memorable season nonetheless like i've pointed this out before the second of the two eight and eight seasons at the beginning of todd haley's tenure i think it was like 2013 or something is one of the most memorable Steelers seasons for me because they started 0 four they fought back they got a little bit on eight and eight they had a similar week well it was week 17 at the time final week of the season situation where they needed people to win and lose and it all came together and ryan stepped up missed a 32 yard kick to, to take the Steelers out of the playoffs but that's one of my most memorable years because just philosophically, it just showed how much fight that the Steelers had. It showed how much fight Ben had. It was when AB emerged. There were a lot of memories that really imprinted on me in that season. I'm sure some people could argue that about the 8-8 eight and eight Mason Rudolph and Duck season. So these things are memorable even when you don't win the Super Bowl. But when you're in contention for the Super Bowl, nothing is worse than losing in those playoff games. I still will never get over the Jaguars lost, the Patriots championship without Le'Veon, the, the, the Broncos. Those are tough. But getting back to the Vikings game, the fact that it was a turn back to clock game wasn't just cool because we're celebrating this season of Ben. It was cool because it was watchable in a three-year stretch of games that are barely watchable. It was great seeing the Steelers push the ball downfield a little bit here and there. And... You know, there was the intrigue of all the Vikings faces on the sideline thinking that they were going to lose yet another game where they had it in the bag and completely choked and let another team back in the game. So that sort of added some extra intrigue and drama to it. And then for it to come all the way down to the last play where, you know, should have been a touchdown for the Steelers. Would have been a very difficult catch for Fryermuth. He's had some fourth quarter learning opportunities that he has bounced back from nicely so far this year. Once again, you can't be horribly mad at him for not making that catch, but really that's the guy that you expect him to catch it. Like Heath Miller catches it, Heinz Ward, Antonio Brown, like these Steeler guys that we sort of see, hey, uh, baby Heath could be that kind of guy. So not to dwell on that too much. So obviously we love Moose. Um, but that would be the other one. And then 
the most thrilling game is the Ravens game. Of course. I don't think it's recency bias. It was to get into the playoffs in a season where the Steelers were dead. Everybody thought the Steelers were dead. It's Ben's last game as a Steeler, potentially. It's against the Ravens, the most perfect scheduling in history. There's no other team that the Steelers should be playing against to get in the playoffs that way. You win the game. You get the records that I mentioned that Ben got. You knock the Ravens out of the playoffs at the same time. His record versus the Ravens, I mean, I think he's won like more than twice the amount of games he's lost versus the Ravens. He's just missed an inordinate, inordinate amount of games against them where they, the Ravens usually win there. That's why the records seem a little bit uh, closer than they actually are in head-to-head. But it's a playoff game. So sort of just by that, by the virtue of that alone, it, you know, takes the cake because so much was riding on it directly. And additionally, it ends with a fourth quarter game winning drive and a game where the Steelers really couldn't do anything at all. And they start moving the ball down the field and you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to do it. Like, they're just going to turn it on here. Like Mike Tomlin said after the game, somebody asked him about why is Ben so good in those situations? He said, Ben's the same. And Ben's also the same. When other people start acting funny, if you know what I mean. So he's talking about people tighten up. People tighten up pretty badly in those situations. And I think that's why the Steelers have been able to mount some of these comebacks at the very end because they have some composure. And along with Ben, the young guys have showed a great ability to fight back and support each other and make plays uh, even when they've made bad ones in the past. So that's the ranking I'm going to give. Tweet at us. Let me know what your rankings are. I mean, I think that you could could rank this a number of different ways. This is just kind of – from a heart palpitation standpoint, this is how I would rank them. Number one, Ravens, two, Vikings, three, Lions, four, Browns, and five, Chargers. All right, quick little preview of the Chiefs game. You guys saw what the Chiefs can do, all right? It's a problem. They don't have the same offense that they did in the past few years. I think they're weirdly missing Sammy Watkins a little bit, and then now uh, Patrick Mahomes is just having to go through a little bit of an evolution as everybody plays them with too high and, and won't let them throw deep. I mean, you remember how many poor games Ben had against the Bengals and the Andy Dalton years and, the, the you know, the perfect years. And uh, he's also had a lot of poor games against the Ravens. And a lot of it's because they played too high and they made Ben be patient and take underneath stuff. And Ben does not want to take underneath stuff. He wants to throw bombs. Mahomes is going through a similar evolution. The bad news is he evolved pretty thoroughly when he played the Steelers. He had no problems taking checkdowns. He was totally on time and carved them apart that way because obviously the Steelers can't stick with him and they didn't even have Kelsey or Tyreek. Yeah, they were missing one of those guys that game. Oh, yeah, it was Kelsey. So they have him now. So that's a problem. <laughs> it's as big of a mismatch as you can have in the playoffs, but the Steelmen are the Steelmen, and they have nothing to lose, really. They shouldn't even be here. So – Maybe they can throw caution in the wind. I, if I'm the Steelers, I'm throwing flea flicker first play. But, oh, wait, that would mean I'd be Matt Canada. So there's a virtual uh, impossibility when it comes to the chances of that happening. Steelers can get run on by anybody, but the Chiefs do not want to run. One of Andy Reid's fatal flaws as a coach for people who complain about Tomlin, even Andy Reid, even Sean Payton, they have uh, similar flaws. He just he does not want to run the ball. So, that's one lucky thing, but there's just we don't there's no nobody who can match up with either one of those players over there in, in Kansas City. So that's that's gonna be difficult, man. And you're playing in Kansas City, maybe the toughest stadium to play in. Also difficult. Just once again, the only thing I'll say about this game. Well, let me say one more thing. The, the 
Chiefs are going to gamble on defense. So if the Steelers really wanted to make this happen, they would come out throwing bombs. They don't want to let Najee somehow beat them. And honestly, their defensive front is too stout for the Steelers to really take advantage of that. But, you know, I just predict the Steelers come out in the exact same formula that they've come out in every game. I wish we could see like a Ben versus the Colts on the first Super Bowl run kind of thing. Just come out there and sling it. Let's throw a post. Let's throw it down the middle. Your only way to beat them is to do what the Jaguars did last week against the Colts. you got to shock them. It is such a big mismatch. That is the one thing that runs through my mind in terms of the Steelers actually having a chance. It, it's not that crazy. We see it happen all the time. But either way, so pumped the Steelers are in the playoffs. We'll uh, be tweeting about it, tweeting about the matchup a little bit more. Hit us up at Steelers Outpost on Twitter, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. We'll be here. Excited to break down the game next week. Excited to break it down the week of we're going to be cheering on the Steelmen. Let's go. Go Steelmen. Okay, bye-bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.